In Revelation 19, it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. If you will stand and sing this great hymn with us today. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is my help and salvation. just saying will be true, that every believer here says, yes, Lord, amen and amen to your word, to your will, to your way in our life. So be it, Lord. Amen. We pray that that would be our attitude today. And Lord, that we would follow you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to say welcome and uh, fill out, or uh, not fill out, but grab one of these connection cards. Now, uh, full disclosure, many of you go, oh, whew, I've got 32 seconds here where I can just not pay attention. No. I need everybody, really, to pick up one of these cards, okay, and, and put your name on it. We want to we wanna get some information from you. First of all, obviously, we, we want your prayer request, and we will be diligent to pray for those. If you are a, a newcomer here and you want some information about the church, uh, on the back there, you can, you can find out about that. We'll, we'll send you information. We'll contact you. But for everybody in here, we really need this. Let me just say briefly, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, at the inception of our ETC, or Extended Care Teaching for our preschoolers during this service, uh, we had it staffed in a pre-COVID world, right, uh, before people got sick and, and, and couldn't, many couldn't serve due to age and, and so forth and, and extenuating circumstances, uh, what I'm trying to say, illnesses, pre-existing illnesses. Um, we went from serving once every three months in child care to the people who are now doing it are serving once every six weeks. So we need people to step up. We need about 20, really, people to step up. And, and say, yes, count on me once a quarter, and I will serve during this time in, in preschool. Um, and, and so we need that. So if you can do that, please put your name on the front of the card. Circle A 
on the back of the card and put that in the offering plate at the end of the service, okay? And then Michaela or Jennifer will contact you and give you details about how you can serve uh, in ETC. We really need you to step up and do this um, because it's very, very critical that we take good care of our preschoolers. Amen? So please, uh, please be do, do that for us. Hey, as we continue to worship, uh, meditate on these words. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We're going to ask Rick to play this verse, and then we're going to sing it a little bit later.
we've learned anything from Ephesians 1. It's all about the praise to His glory. Amen. Let's sing it. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship His holy name. And sing like never before. Oh, my soul. I'll worship Your holy name. Your holy name, I bless. 
We see that we who believe in Him are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. That Spirit lives in us. Amen? And we need to begin more and more to think like it, to believe like it, to talk like it, to live like it. Amen? And so let's, this song reminds us of that. Let's do this. You've called me from the grave by name. You've called me out of all my shame. I see the old has passed away, the new.
dwelling on the inside, Jesus. You have given us freedom. No longer bound by sin and darkness. Living in the light of your goodness. You have given us freedom. Now I have resurrection power. Living on the inside, Jesus. You have given us freedom. No longer bound by sin and darkness. Living in the light of your goodness. You have given us freedom. Last week, our pastor reminded us of this, that one of the Holy Spirit's purposes is to put a spotlight on Jesus and to reveal his truth to us. And we find that in John chapter 16, in verse 14, it says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's just now allow the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus and to reveal his truth to us and to turn our eyes to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to turn our eyes to Jesus. Would you do that with me just now? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. reveals what he's done for us. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy Jesus! 
Holy Spirit sealed us for this very purpose. Here it is. Turn your eyes to the heavens. Our King will return for His own. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will shout. spiritualize of our heart to his word and to his truth and Lord today let me hear with a view toward obeying not here for knowledge but here to conform to the image of Christ to obey it's in Christ's name we pray Have you grown to love Ephesians 1, 3 through 14? I hope you haven't gotten tired of listening to it. I thought this morning that if this text, this passage of Scripture, doesn't turn you into a worshiper, a Trinitarian, and a person who appreciates fully the free and sovereign grace of God to save sinners, then you've missed it all. Because that's what this text should do for all of us. We are called by God to praise Him for His glorious grace. We bless our God. Why? Because He has blessed us so wonderfully. The third person of the divine trinity is described in our passage as the Holy Spirit of promise. Or the promised Holy Spirit. Remember, we're thinking Trinitarian because we've seen the blessings of the Father the blessings of the Son, and now we're seeing the blessings of the Holy Spirit of God. We talked last week about that promise, and we immediately went back to the Old Testament to see and track with the Bible how that should and is fulfilled. We learned that the Old Testament characters, Moses, others, 
Isaiah longed for a more comprehensive understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. They longed for that. We see in Jeremiah 31 the promise of the Spirit that he would put his Spirit in us and we would not turn away from the Lord. And so we also learned that the quintessential man of the Holy Spirit was the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one. So no one had ever come like Jesus. Who was completely full of the Holy Spirit. We tracked through the Gospel of John and other places in Scripture. Where he himself talked about being full of the Holy Spirit of God. We also learned that Christ. When he condescended from heaven to come to this earth. He, the Holy Spirit of God came with him. Mary said how will these things be? The Holy Spirit of God shall come upon you and overpower you. And then not only did the Holy Spirit come with Christ, but it is the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ actually gives to us. Remember after the ascension, the Father gives the Spirit to the Son of God, uh, creating that understanding of all the work being accomplished in glory, and then for the Holy Spirit to be given to us. And then our text reminds us of the work of the Spirit of God to put the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as David just told you, John 16, he's not just the spotlight, but he's the revealer of the very truth of God, uh, of the Lord Jesus that is given to us as believers. Remember, he is the mediator in us, in the very presence of God, the Word of God, and the redeeming activity for those that the Lord God will save. And so that's the Spirit's work. He exposes to the people of God what belongs to Christ. Now, if you notice in your outline, I've gone back to point one. I didn't really feel like you got it all, so I'm going to repeat it all. No, seriously, there's that little word in there that we've really not unpacked. And it's the word seal or seals or the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're going to walk back and we're not going to preach Hearing, having heard, and having believed. But we're all going to talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And the other huge role of the Spirit given in this passage is not only the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but He is given as well as a guarantee or a deposit or as a pledge to guarantee your inheritance. And the final division in the sermon outline is a summary statement of which you've heard already multiple times in this text. So here we go. The Holy Spirit seals those who hear and believe the gospel. Notice verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in other words, having heard, having believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And everything we've talked about is to the praise of his glory. Even the Spirit given to you is for the praise of His glory. Okay, now, the text reads, in Him you were sealed. Again, please remember, all of these blessings that we have in salvation come from who? Our union with Christ. There's no sealing of the Spirit apart from Christ. And again, track the text and look at in Him terminology. The blessings that we have in Christ in spiritual places, every blessing is given to us. Why? Because of Christ. So every blessing is because of our union with Jesus Christ. It comes to us because of it. 
So the sealing of the Spirit of God, you got to see this now, is just as much a benefit of being in Christ as your justification is. It's just as much a benefit of being in Christ as your election is, which actually came before your justification. It's just as important as your adoption and your future glorification. The sealing of the Spirit is so vitally important for those who are saved. When does the sealing of the Spirit take place? At the time you heard and believed. The Bible says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you hear and believe, you are sealed. The sealing is not, and I quote again, the sealing of the Spirit is not a post-conversion work or experience. It is something that God does in each and every person at the moment of faith. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, how do we define a term such as being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? I think it's very important because I believe it dominated Paul's thinking. Let me show you why. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to make you do a, a huge Bible drill like last week. Don complained. I said, preacher, I've never listened to a sermon when I had so many verses. I said, well, it won't be as bad this week. Chapter 4, verse 30. The Bible says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Is that not another sermon for us in the future? By whom, check this out, you were sealed for the day of redemption. And also another text, 2 Corinthians. You have to turn left. And if you struggle, like some of you do, I want to remind you that 2 Corinthians follows 1 Corinthians. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to this wonderful passage. Because I love this passage, let's back up to verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. I don't know what y'all think about that, but that's good news today, right? That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This have any relation to Ephesians 1? Y'all reckon? All right, 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as our guarantee, our pledge. Actually, that 2 Corinthians text is wonderful. Why? Because it brings together both the tasks that we're going to see today. So we will not take time to address the other place. But Paul has four usages of sealing of the Spirit and guarantee, which makes me think that Paul treasured this particular doctrine. Now, in the ancient world, sealing was a very common practice. And if you have a dictionary of biblical terms, which all of us should have one of those on your shelf... Then if you look up seal or sealed or sealing of the Spirit, then you can read for a while. Okay, there's four or five pages in most dictionaries about this. So what you learn from it is it basically has two meanings. It could refer to or denote the instrument used to actually seal something. Or it could actually refer to the impression that is made by the instrument. It's one of those two things. So it is the instrument making the seal. Or it is the impression made by the instrument. 
a signet ring or a piece of metal could be taken and engraved on the end and it was usually rolled on paper, parchment, something or it was impressed into a piece of clay or wax in order to seal something. So in the ancient world, what did it carry with the connotation? Moral and legal authority. A seal could provide legal protection. It gives, it gives you certain guarantees, especially regarding physical property that one might own. You could also use that seal for ownership. A seal belonged to the person who was in possession of the seal. It's important to think about this. If you read about the seal in the ancient world, you will find out that it was prohibited for someone who made them to make two and give them to the same person. If they made one, they had to pass it on, and they were not allowed to sell it. They were not allowed to use it until it was sold. Why is this the case? Because it kept people from fraud. Because the seal was the seal that belonged to that person. It was the only one that authenticated it. So, I want you to know that this was woven into the fabric of the day. And it was a seal which was a legal proof of identity and authenticity. It also served to guarantee against certain violations. I read in one dictionary that the holder of the seal was the holder of power and he was in his place in a duly constituted order. So we may say it like this. Might or power and right came together in a seal. The power to bind something and the right to do so. That's pretty impressive that they would come up with a system to convey authenticity and ownership and authority like that. Now, what are the legal ramifications in our day of a seal? Y'all listening? I haven't put you to sleep already, have I? Is it comparative? Is there anything to compare that seal to today? Does it function on the same level? Well, if you're a rancher, do you brand your cows? Why? Because you don't want anybody else to get them. And you identify them as your, as your own. They're authentic. They belong to you. I had, at one time, it's probably somewhere in my office, an instrument made out of plastic that had my name engraved upon it. I could stick it in ink, and I could punch it in the front of first page of my book that would remind the person who borrowed it that upon pain of death, you bring that book back to my office, right? It was simply a reminder of the property that belonged to me, some of you have this kind of stuff. So a notary will notarize things. Like I joked about in the first service, Blake and Don think they're just the biggest people in the world because they, they hold on to a seal. Right, but that stuff's binding. I mean, you go get Don to notarize something, I mean, he's like on top of it. You get signed right here, you know. There's a reason for that. So the document becomes official and legal and binding. There are court seals, there are state seals, and they convey authority and authenticity. If you get something in the mail with a court seal on it, there's a pretty good idea you ought to open that, right? And if something comes to you in a certified envelope or letter, it's certified for a purpose that if it says Philip Burden on the front, I should open it. If Natalie opens my mail, she might go to jail, right? Come on, folks. Certified letter. It's just a joke. The sticky stuff on your envelope is there for a purpose. It's a seal. Why? It's supposed to be opened by the person whose name is on the front. So, 
It's like the king's wax. Y'all remember this? That protected against violations. So in the Old Testament, we have some examples of this. You remember the sordid story of Judah and Tamar? Yeah, you read that in Genesis chapter 38, and you think immediately of the United States of America, right? And he has relations with who he thinks is a temple prostitute, but in actuality it's Tamar. And when he says to her, I don't have any way to pay you, she says, that's okay, I'll take a deposit. And the Bible tells us that he gives her his cord and seal. It was a sign of authenticity. It belonged to Judah and no one else. As a matter of fact, so much so that it got Judah caught, that it was actually his seal. We know of Jezebel who takes Ahaz's seal and uses it. So I want you just to understand that it was common in the ancient world. It's common in the modern world. But what does Paul actually mean when it says, here is a blessing given to you as a child of God in Christ that is given to the people of God by the promised Holy Spirit. Let me give you a few things to write down. First, the Holy Spirit is given to us to signify the mark of ownership. When God says or saves you, he seals you with his Spirit and it marks you out as belonging to God. That's who you are. Why shouldn't we be sealed? Because we've been redeemed, right? If we've been redeemed, certainly... We should be sealed. I want to remind everybody, especially young people, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You have been redeemed, you've been purchased, and now you belong to God. So here's the deal. What does he purchase you from? The slave market of sin. He takes you out of the world. He takes you out of the realm of domination of the flesh. He takes you out of the realm of possession of the devil. And I want to remind you, that's where you were before Christ. You were of your father, the devil. But God takes possession of you. And when God saves you, he says, this one is mine. It's ownership. You belong to him. When you come to faith in Christ, for lack of a better way of saying it, let's just be countryfied, you get branded. You are branded by God, the Spirit. So that you should live in a demonstrable way that says that you belong to the king. You're owned by him. Would that not make a difference in the way we live our lives? Girls, your body doesn't belong to another man outside of marriage. Your body belongs to God. Amen? Same is true for a man. You belong to the Lord God. You... You belong to the Spirit of God. Check, check this out. You don't belong to the devil anymore. You belong to God. But you don't even belong to yourself. You are not your own. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. So you're property of Jesus Christ. He's branded you. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Wake up, folks. That's good stuff, isn't it? Ownership. Now, wait a minute. Comes, what comes with that? Uh, obviously responsibility to live like you have been sealed, but that's the first thing. All right, second, it designates us in the mark of security and protection. Again, if you don't turn, but just go back over the 430 and check out the protection part. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the sealing of the work of the Spirit is not just ownership, but security and protection. The seal is given to us by God through the Holy Spirit for our security and our protection. And that seal is not going to come off 
until you see, until you see Christ face to face. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. This means the child of God. Every child of God is secure until that final day. I think this is a note of eternal security. Amen? God does not have on his pencil where he wrote you in, his, he wrote you in the confines of heaven. Before the foundation of the world, he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He doesn't have an eraser. It's the sealing of the Holy Spirit that guarantees our safety and our protection that we are going to go to the last day. This means the child of God that you are secure. It's the Spirit of God that guarantees that you will persevere to the end. Now let's, let's, let's talk about the here and now. You ever go through the spiritual doldrums and feel like, Lord, I don't know if I can make it anymore. I mean, I've gone through difficulties. Sometimes you may feel like Job. I don't think any of us could quite identify with Job, right? But even his wife said, based upon what Job went through, curse God and die. Do you ever feel like your faith is falling apart? And the natural thing to do would be to jettison your faith, to curse God, to give up, to say that's just it. What is it that keeps you in the faith day to day? What is it, ladies and gentlemen? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and you are protected by God. Don't you realize that's the only Jesus that's in you, is the Holy Spirit of God? Wake up, church family. It is the Holy Spirit of God that protects you and secures you in your faith. And here's the deal. The Holy Spirit of God will not let a child of God quit. He will not do this, which brings up a whole lot of things we have to think about in church life. Why do people quit? John said they went out from us because they were not part of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained. Why? Because, the Garen, because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. He's the mark of our security and our protection. Jeremiah 32 says he will put his spirit in us so that we will not turn away from him. We're prone to, we're prone to wonder. As soon as I said that, most of you thought of a song. We're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But the hymn writer knew of a word in the Bible. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it to thy courts above. Why? So that we will not leave our love for our God. So, he seals your heart in such a way that you will not leave the God you love. When you come to faith in Christ, you're sealed for protection and security. How, do you, how, is the, how does this happen? How about love for Christ? That's not in you apart from the Holy Spirit. How about true faith, which is not in you apart from the Holy Spirit? How about perseverance? Just stick toativeness. Is that a word? I don't know. It's called fortitude, right? What, what is it that causes you to stick to it? Folks, it is the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God. He's not only given you a mark of ownership, is for security and protection. Here's one more. It's the mark of identity and authenticity. You may tell you who has the Holy Spirit? Only believers. It is identification and authentication. This means that the Spirit who seals us is also the Spirit of our identity. He's also the Spirit of our authentication before God and men. Stop and consider the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits. It's fruit of the Spirit. What's the very first one? Uh, by the way, against these things there is no law. 
Amen? What's the first one? Love. Is that an authenticating, identifying mark of being a child of God? You better believe it. But Baptist, oh, Baptist. You know, you should think of uh, John 15 in your mind as abiding in Christ. He is divine. We're the branches. You know that song, right? Why? What is important? It's the, it is the union with the branch with the vine. Flowing through the vine. Without the vine, there's no life to the branch. Right? And there can be a superficial connection of a branch to a vine. We know this. And if that takes place, there's no union with Christ. But I want to remind you, sometimes as Baptists, we have to look real hard to see any fruit on the vine at all. But I want to remind you, that's an identifying mark that you belong to God. You shall know them by your fruits, by their fruits. For some of us, at times, we look like dried up raisins. But you know, down in the south, we call them scuppinons and uh, what's the other thing we call them? Musky dimes up here. I don't know what you folks, y'all weird. I don't know what y'all call them. <laughs> Grapes. But don't you love my grandmother had those vines, just giant brown looking ones. Put them in your mouth. They're just, they were just awesome. But ever so often, there were some of them that were dried up on the vine. I guess we could say that if you're a dried up raisin, there's at least the evidence that there's some fruit. But folks, how much are you identified as the authentic, real thing that belongs to Christ. The seal of the Spirit is your identification and your authentication that you belong to God. Proves that you're authentic and you belong to Him. So, the sealing of the Spirit. We can say a lot of things, can't we? However, the authenticity is how we live our lives. So do you possess the authenticating reality of the Spirit of God's seal upon your life? The Spirit of God marks ownership, security and protection, and identity and authenticity. All right. Y'all get that one? All right, point two. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee for our inheritance. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee? Or, some say pledge, some say deposit. Again, if you listen to 2 Corinthians 1.22, it says, And he... And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in order in our hearts as a guarantee or as a deposit. So it is actually, when you look it up in the Greek, a commercial term. It means to give an earnest. It means to put down a deposit. It is earnest money that ends up, listen, ratifying a contract. That's what a guarantee is. Yet, it would also be a promise. So... In other words, if you're going to buy a home, and it's a large amount of money, what do you have to do? Most of the time, you have to put down an earnest, which ratifies the contract. However, that money you put down is also a promise that you're going to pay the rest of it. And that'll probably be through the bank, right? Unless you've got a lot of cash on hand. Well, if, there ain't no sense in putting down a deposit if you can pay for the whole thing starting off, right? But still, it's to ratify the contract. Now, Arabon is a beautiful word in the Greek, and it's a pledge. It's earnest money. In modern Greek, however, it means an engagement ring, which that is also a promise that you're going to keep forever, till death do you part. 
So the same spirit that seals us is the same spirit that has been given to us as a down payment. For what? Final salvation. Final glory. However, I want to remind you, your salvation is complete in Jesus Christ, but it's not completed. Are y'all tracking with me? Justification saves you from the penalty of sin. Glorification removes the very presence of sin, period, totally. But what about the power of sin in the here and now? That's called sanctification. That's called becoming more like the Lord. So, again, that realization, that actualization of your salvation is not yet fully completed. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you have been sick? That's a good indication that your salvation is not completed. Right? Have any of you sinned? Oh, yeah. Which time, Pastor? How many minutes ago? How many hours ago? Correct? Well, that's a demonstration. Clear that your salvation has not yet been completed. When we consider the application, when we consider the realization of our salvation, there is more to come. Praise the Lord. Now, question. Are things different today in your life? than before you met Christ. I hope you say a hearty amen. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what, I'm, not what I'm going to be, but I'm certainly not what I used to be, right? So think, think with me for a moment about that realization. The difference in your life now, before, uh, now that you're in Christ and before, is the installment. It is the down payment of the Spirit of God that is in your life. It's all you have, right? Is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God given to you. It is a pledge that guarantees that God will keep the contract. And one of these days, you'll get the full installment of the guarantee of the contract. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but that's good news for me. I hope that's good news for you. In regard to justification in Christ Jesus the Lord... You are as justified today as you will be the day you stand before the Lord. Because your justification is based upon the completed work, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, there is more salvation yet to be experienced. So you're not going to be a different kind when you stand before the Lord. But there's going to be a different degree of your salvation. And that's guaranteed and promised. Isn't God saving you a little more each day? If not, then you're not walking in the, in, the, in the realm of sanctification. And if you're not walking in the realm of sanctification, then you were never justified to begin with. Do you all see how this is connected? But in the day we live now, this is sanctification. There's the already and the not yet. The already is tough sometimes, isn't it? Are you all listening, church family? The already can be really, really, really tough. How many of you live this way? Lord God, save me today from my flesh. You know what that's called? It's called sanctification. God, save me today from the enemy. Lord, save me today from the flesh that wants to dominate my life. If you yield your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be used for unrighteousness. See, there's this sanctification going on in life. There's another part of our salvation that we've not yet tasted. That's called glorification. One of these days, the ones God has saved, he will ultimately save. That's the glory of it. This will ultimately take place 
at the resurrection of the body. I've looked at you, and you've looked at me. And have you figured out that your body is not fit for heaven? It's not. You're not fitted for heaven right now. Your heart and soul is if you're justified, but this body is not. The perishable cannot put on the imperishable. This kind of flesh cannot go to heaven. That's why the Bible says that some of us may be, may be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord, but the others who have already died before us will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But even us, if you were to be alive and remain, you've got to be changed too. Now that's going to be awesome, isn't it? In the twinkling of an eye, this old dying, decaying flesh will be made like unto the glorified body of Christ. I'm about to preach myself happy. Amen? Just think about our bodies. Just think about the fact that God one day will fit us for heaven. God puts down the down payment. Check this out. My microphone is wearing my ear out today. Think about this. God puts down the down payment, but he never says as is. Think about this. He put down the down payment, but he doesn't say as is. Why? Because he's still working on me. And he's still working on you. And all of these installments are for a reason. He gives the down payment and he continues to further the installments. And one day, boom! When you die, you'll be in glory and see Christ face to face. And the Holy Spirit of God is that seal, that down payment, that guarantee to remind us that we belong to God. But not only that, but also remind you that you will be brought home safely. You will. There's more to come, folks. We get an inheritance, undefiled, that fades not away. Check this out. It's not heaven because First Peter says it's reserved in heaven for you. So we get an inheritance. There's a tension that exists in the already and not yet. Do you have the Spirit of God, ladies and gentlemen, if you're saved? Do we have it in its completeness or fullness like we will have it when we see Christ face to face? Not yet. We have salvation, but do we have its full consummation? Not yet. The future glory is ours. Do we taste a little bit of the glory to come now? Absolutely. The Spirit of God is given to us as a pledge to create in us a longing for future salvation and glory. Should this affect the way we live? This is a realization that should cause us to look at the flesh, the world, and the devil, and it ought to create in us a view that we are torn between two worlds. Think about this. Do you realize that you would never know that you are torn between two worlds if the Holy Spirit had not been given to you as a guarantee? Which causes me to think about the way Christians live today. Now, let's say pre-COVID didn't exist, all right? It was still hard for the pastor to get you out of bed to come to church. Just think about this. Now, I'm just giving a, a small example of how important it is. In other words, folks, listen to me. You can't belong to Christ and not belong to a body. It's categorically impossible. The Bible tells us straightforward that there are many members in one body. You get into that body by being saved by grace through faith. You cannot survive and thrive as a believer and be away from church. But what's wrong with us? Because there ought to be a tension in us of the already and the not yet. How is that tension there? By the Holy Spirit of God. But it reminds me, maybe there are a lot of church members who are unregenerate. They don't desire 
the things of God. If you've been given that guarantee and that down payment, you can't stand it any other way. Now, you, that doesn't mean you're perfected. doesn't mean you've got it all together. But you're going to do all you can to obey Christ and live for Christ and be around God's people. Be invested in the church of the living God. Trust God with your finances. Do I have to keep going? Now, look, that's, that's the tension that is created in us. It's an awareness of attention that we're not yet receiving all that's coming our way. That the Holy Spirit resides in us. So you need to understand that the presence of God, the presence of Christ in us through His Spirit, doesn't minimize the present and the future. It maximizes the present and the future. It, it makes it important to us. Every single longing that you have for Christ. Folks, do you have a longing for Christ in your heart? Do you? Let that be an authenticating thing. Do you long for Jesus more than anything else in life? Do you? The Bible says he is to have the preeminence above all things. Is he preeminent in your life? Every longing you have for Christ, every yearning for personal holiness, do you have that yearning for personal holiness? Now, that doesn't mean that you become holy before you meet Christ. Some people think that. Now, folks, you come as you are, but you're not going to stay the same. When Jesus saves you, then there's this desire for personal holiness. How about every joy that we experience in worship? Every ounce of peace that we feel in our hearts because we belong to him. Every inch of growth that we experience this side of heaven. Every down payment. All of this is a result of the down payment of the Spirit of God that has been given to you. Every bit of that. You're longing to serve God. You're yearning to be like Jesus. The communion you have, the peace you have. God gives that to you. Seals you with his Holy Spirit. So, one of these days, 1 John 1 1 John 3, 1, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That terminology is this an out-of-this-world kind of love that he's bestowed upon you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the very children of God. Beloved, it does not appear what we will be, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's what we long for. That should be our desire as the people of God. One day, you will worship the living Christ before the holy throne of God. That's our longing. That's our desire. One day, you will live in perfect communion with the Lord of glory. You ever get tired of sin? I get sick and tired of it, right? And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, we are to have a militant attitude towards sin. Like a military warfare to kill it. Do you have that in your life? If you do, it's because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when you yearn for Christ, when you yearn more to be like him, it's a result of a down payment that's been given to you. Is there something, believer, in your heart that resonates in your heart that says, one day, one day, this longing I have in my heart will be satisfied? Is that in you? One day, this holiness thing will be perfected. One day, I will commune with my Savior without end. The Holy Spirit is that foretaste of what it is in store for the people of God. Aren't you glad that things will be different one day? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Listen. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Does this sound familiar? 
waiting for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. I think I believe in global warming. But it's not going to be you that burns it up. Get that through your head, folks. When this world ends, it won't be because you do it. It will be because the sovereign God of the world does it. Listen to what the text says. The day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Verse 13. But according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Check this out. In which righteousness dwells. That's our longing. I think you can look on the TV screen and find out right fast that righteousness doesn't dwell in our land. Right? But it's coming in the future. God will destroy it all by fire. And God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be indwelt by righteousness. That's what we look forward to. Now, final little phrase says, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Note this, until we acquire possession of it. Does that mean we're possessing it, or is it God possessing us? Well, grammar is tough there, but the New Living Translation says this. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us everything He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own. In other words, when I was a kid, we had these uh, bottles that we coveted. Because on that bottle it says redeemable. And I got 10 cents for them. My mom had a beauty shop, and if she set them out to the side, she'd let me have them, and I'd go in there and get those bottles. And I would go to Hoyt Witcher's store. He had five or six pieces of bubble gum each week, a couple of candy bars. Zero bar was a thing back in the day. But I'd take those bottles up there. I'd get 10 cents for those bottles. Why? Because they were redeemable. God one day is going to turn in all the bottles, folks. And it's going to prove the authenticity of those who belong to him. He will take full possession of every bottle that belongs to him. Because you've been redeemed. Oh man, that'll preach, won't it? He's redeemed. Look, the bottle belonged to the company who made it to begin with. But redeemable meant, hey, it proved when it was returned that it belonged to the person who actually made it. Your salvation is all a work of God. In its entirety. Malachi 3.17 says. They shall be mine. Says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make my treasured possession mine. Awesome. Awesome. Alright. The Holy Spirit's work results in praise to God. And we're done. One little, can we hit that phrase one more time? To the praise of his glory. Look back up at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the... Some of us want to say, Paul! How many times do you have to tell us? We need to hear it over and over, don't we? Yes, we need to hear it over and over and over. Calvin said, what is infinite cannot be spoken of too much. Do do y'all realize that that's going to be the reverberation through time forever? That God... Deserves our praise. That God alone deserves praise. So Paul concludes the section the same way he begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Run to the end. To the praise of his glory. Folks do you know that's why he saved you ultimately. 
He saved you and made you His own. Why? To the praise of His glorious grace. So the seal, the earnest, the guarantee, what are you doing with it? I mean, why would Paul just tell us that if we're not going to think about the seal? That it, it shows authenticity and identification and security and protection. We need to be thinking about what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Are you living up? I know it's an impossibility, but are you living up to your inheritance? Do you belong to the Lord? Do you personally belong to the Lord? Some of you are saying, I'm too great of a sinner. I want to remind you that our Savior is far greater in His ability to save than you are in your ability to sin. He's a greater Savior than you are a sinner. He can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. If God gives you the faith to respond and believe in Christ, then you will be saved. And you can do it right now. Father, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. Lord, I know some of this is kind of deep and technical, but the word of God must be preached. Lord, we must deal with terminology like a guarantee and the sealing of the Spirit and justification and propitiation. These are words that are in the Bible. So therefore, we must unpack them and find out what they mean. Let the Scripture interpret Scripture. Lord, but for this moment in time, in our, in our time together in preaching the Word, God, help that one individual who's wrestling with belonging to Christ. Or maybe they even know they don't. They know they're lost. And if they died today, they would die in their sins and thus be judged. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you so loved the world, that you came into this world. For God loved this world in this manner that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. The danger is to perish. The condition is to believe. And the consequence is we have eternal life when we put our faith in Jesus. God, would you work a work of grace in someone's heart today? Give them eyes to see the beauty of Christ, the magnitude of their sin. And may they turn to Jesus and trust him only for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's have a hymn of invitation together. First note, if you don't know the Lord and God has convicted your heart, you respond. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. And Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the hillside and turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Here's my conviction. 
I'm not the smartest guy in the world. In simplicity, here's what I think. We're in the shape we're in in our country because we haven't been identifiable. We haven't been the real article. We haven't opened our mouths. We haven't lived the lives that we should have lived. Think about where all this starts. It starts in the family. Hello, y'all getting this? Seriously, God never lays the blame against the lost world. Never. And we can't either. It can never be uh, us, us against them. Because you were the them before you met Christ. The problem with our country is looking it up. You look at me, look at you, that's the problem. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What the world needs is the real article to live the Christian life. That was free. That was after the sermon, right? Won't cost you a thing. All right, God bless you. Olivia Sharp, would you come down here, Olivia? And bring Jackson with you. Yeah. I, I love it when a, when a little boy says, Daddy. Listen to that. You're taking it away from Daddy back there. He don't want none of that, right? He's been in the nursery, right? It's all right, Jackson. We'll let you go to Daddy in just a minute. This is Olivia Sharp, and she knows Jesus as her Lord. And she's following believers' baptism, and she's coming to us by transfer uh, from a sister Baptist church. All right? She brought him to my office, and he loved me. He didn't cry one bit. All right? He wants Daddy. We're glad Daddy's here, too. Amen? You can come down here if you want to, brother. Come on down here. Look at it. Here he comes. Isn't this an awesome picture? Oh, yeah. We need more kids that need their daddy and want their daddy. Amen. We love this couple, and God's doing great things in their lives. And uh, I want you to pray for them. Amen. God, you're good to us. And uh, we thank you for bringing Olivia to this church. And Jackson, Lord, and the daddy, Lord, what a blessing uh, to have them all here with us, Lord. And, and Lord, you've given us uh, responsibility uh, to care and to love. And God, help this church family to embrace this precious family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To God be the glory. All right, I'd like for y'all to greet them. If y'all go out to the side, I mean, I know we're in the mask day, but that's all right. Go out there to the right. You did good, Jackson. You're happy because you got daddy. I understand. All right. Uh, listen, quickly, we have a, don't be in a hurry. Kansas City don't play today. All right. Listen, uh, we have Lord's Supper tonight at 6. I need to remind you as your pastor, do this in remembrance of me. There are people today alive in Baptist churches that never take communion. That should not be. We're commanded by God to partake of the Lord's Supper for a reason. We had a little girl who trusted Christ based on the Lord's Supper the other night. There's a reason why we do these things, and God told us to do them. So tonight at 6. David, what's the other thing? Nothing? We're going to sing the doxology. All right. Yes, we're going to sing the doxology. As we dismiss, let's sing this together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy God bless. See you tonight.